You're listening to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James, a podcast devoted to helping you with your walk with Jesus. We do this by looking at the scriptures through devotions and messages every week. For more information, you can find us at gardeningthewell.com and would love for you to connect with us over there. Uh, You can visit our blog, you can visit our bookstore, and you can connect with us and shoot us some feedback. Send us questions, maybe something you'd like to hear an episode on. And with that said, uh, let's jump into it today. If you have your Bibles, and hopefully you do, uh, open up to Revelation chapter 13 this morning. If you don't have your own Bible, uh, you could use the blue one in front of you right there in the pews. But Revelation chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 10. We're going to read them as we go through uh, this morning. But uh, as you're opening up, let's have a quick word of prayer. Father God, uh, thank you for uh, this morning once again. Father, this morning we come to look at somebody that that we need to know about. But Father, we get, we get lost in knowing or wanting to know about Him. For some, they want to know more about Him than they want to know about You. Holy Spirit, I pray that You would speak into our hearts today. I pray that You would teach us. I pray that You would equip us. I pray that You would change us and that You would allow us to see what we need to see. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Not as as good as last week, and it was hotter in here last week, so I don't know about that, but uh, good to see you uh, this morning. Uh, What a week. It's been a long one, uh, but a very, very good one uh, with VBS going on this past week. Uh, If you missed the decorations, you'll have to go back and see last week's uh, message and see the decorations, but... uh, I want you to picture something this morning, right? And you do that for me, you have to open your eyes up again, all right? No falling asleep, right? But try to picture this, right? Even if you're not a campfire person, I want you to try to picture this, okay? So picture you're sitting around a campfire one night with your friends and your family, and one of them goes, I have a joke, okay? In your mind, go, how is this go- joke going to start? All right. Some of you are like, I don't know. It depends on the friend, I guess. All right. Well, think about it. There's a good chance the joke will start something along these lines. There's a priest, a rabbi, and maybe a lawyer. Right? How many of you've heard a joke that started with there was a priest, a rabbi, and a lawyer? Or the third one always changes, but it's usually the priest and the rabbi. Right? The priest, the rabbi, and the lawyer walk into a bar, or they're at the football game, or you know something, they're on an airplane, all these different things all the time, a priest, a rabbi, and a lawyer, and that's always the joke. And I don't know why the priest, the rabbi, and the lawyer are always together, uh, but that's usually how jokes start. So with that in your mind, we're going to start the message this morning off by this. I'm going to ask you, what do these people have in common? You ready? Emperor Nero... He was alive over Rome when Paul lived. Ronald Reagan. Just about any pope that you can think about. Vladimir Putin. Adolf Hitler. Joseph Stalin. Napoleon. Henry Kissinger which I don't know much about Henry Kissinger. Those older than me probably do because he was a politician here in America. Elon Musk. Okay. I'm not done yet. Former president, 
Thomas Jefferson, former president FDR, former president John F. Kennedy, former president Donald Trump, former president Barack Obama, and the internet. Okay? All those people, yes, I know the internet is not a person, but stay with me. All those people and the internet walk in the church one morning. Okay? What do they all have in common? <laughs> I know it's a lot, but there is something they all have in common. They've all been called the Antichrist. Every person I mentioned to you has been looked upon and thought to be the Antichrist. Now, I know I've missed a lot, a lot of people. And I know some of you are like, well, how can the internet be the Antichrist? Well, I'm going to show this to you just to show you how off the wall people and groups get when it comes to knowing who the Antichrist is. How many of you have ever heard of the practice of giving letters a numerical value? Like A would be worth one, B would be worth two. Have you ever heard something along those lines? Okay, good. Now follow me. When you put in an internet address, what do you always start with? WWW, right? Three W's. Well, when you take our letter W and translate it into the Hebrew alphabet, it is the letter Vav. V-A-V, Vav. But it is the sixth letter. And so when you give a numerical value to the Hebrew letter W, it's the number six. And so the internet is www, which going by that is 666, which is the mark of the beast. Therefore, the internet is the Antichrist. You may laugh and think that is strange, and you are correct, but that is how far people go trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. When it comes to the Antichrist, there has been and is so much misinformation and thoughts as who he is that there's no possible way that I could start to untangle all of it this morning. We label just about every president we don't like as the Antichrist. You need to stop doing it. He's not the Antichrist. Don't care what party is. I don't care what he's done. He's not the Antichrist. They're not going to be. They can't be. And we label just about anybody that we don't like to be the Antichrist. Well, guess what? If they were born in America, they're not going to be the Antichrist. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, stay with me for a couple minutes. Can somebody be Antichrist against Jesus? Yes. Just about every president we've ever had has been against Jesus. But this morning, we're going to take a look at what the Bible calls the beast. Last week, we saw the dragon, who is Satan. And this week, it's the beast. And we're going to get a picture of who he is and what he is going to do. And so I have four points for you this morning, if you're following along with the bulletins. The who, the wound, the worship, and the war. And those are the four points that we're going to go along with this morning to try to get a better picture of what the Bible calls, or who the Bible calls, the Antichrist. And where we have to start here is the who. Revelation chapter 13, it's verses 1 through 2, and John writes this, and we'll read what John writes. John says this, and the dragon, and if you missed last week, the dragon is Satan, right? It is the devil. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. 
The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority. When you read that, you go, okay, no idea. Well, we're in chapter 13. And just like last week, we're in the middle point of the tribulation period. Those of you who missed it, the seven, tribulation period is seven years. It is split into two equal halves, three and a half and three and a half, with a midpoint, something that marks the middle of the tribulation period. And that's where we've been hanging out this morning. And we read what John has done here. And what John is doing, he's giving us more insight to things that are that is going to take place over the first part of the tribulation period. And what John wants to do, he wants to give us a clear, clear picture of this man, this Antichrist, and his work before he moves on. And so the question I get all the time is this, who is the Antichrist? Well, I don't know. You see, the beast that is talked about here in Revelation chapter 13 is the person that you know of as the Antichrist. And people ask me all the time, who do you think the Antichrist is? Where is he going to come from? Is this person the Antichrist? Is that person the Antichrist? No. Ready? Here's something you may not have ever even thought of. The Antichrist may not even be born yet. Did you ever think that? He may not even be born yet. People want to know who he is. Well, the Antichrist is Antichrist. And the funny thing about that word Antichrist is this. Do you know that the word Antichrist is not even found in the book of Revelation? The word Antichrist is only found in 1 John. And it's only used about, depending on your translation, I will say three to five times. The man that we know of as the Antichrist has dozens of different names throughout the Scriptures. Many of them. But it is the name Antichrist that has become the most popular one that is associated with him. But here's the question. Do you know what that name means? Do you know what the word Antichrist means? Now, when you hear anti, what do you think of? Now, we could go into a whole lot of different things with that, right? Like, we can go, and I'm not even going to say it. But you know what anti means, right? Someone sent me a picture that pumpkin spice stuff is on the shelves already, right? It's not even August, right? Pumpkin spice. So you all know this. I am anti-pumpkin spice, whatever it is, right? So I am against pumpkin spice. You could be anti-baseball, against baseball. You don't like baseball. You don't think it should be played. You're anti-baseball. You all know what the word anti means, right? Remember, your participation helps the sermon go faster, right? You know what the word anti means, right? Opposed to, against, right? You're correct but you're missing something when it comes to the Antichrist. That phrase anti, for Antichrist, does mean opposed to or against, but it also has this meaning as well, and it's very important that you know this. It also means in place of. Not necessarily against, but in place of. Or you could say instead of. It also has that meaning. Why is that important? Well, it gives us a whole picture of the Antichrist. You see, last week we saw that Satan wants the throne of God. We saw last week that Satan wants to be worshipped as God instead of God. The Antichrist is going to be the same way. He is going to try to place himself in the place of Jesus. Instead of Jesus, 
the Antichrist. Instead of Jesus, you have the Antichrist. That's what he's going to try to do during the tribulation period. Put himself in that place. So instead of Jesus, there is the Antichrist. So the question then, who is he? I don't know. John tells us in verse 1 that the dragon, once again, that is the devil, stood on the shore of the sea and John coming out of the sea. Out of the sea, a beast. So what does this mean as to who the Antichrist is? Because John tells us he sees the beast, the Antichrist, coming out of the sea. Well, have you ever seen those movies with people living in the ocean and then they come up out of the ocean? That's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's actually going to live in the ocean for a while and he's going to come out of the ocean. Do any of you believe me? Okay, good. Because that's not what he means. All right? You got to stay with me this morning. It's not hard, but you just got to stay with me. That word sea is very important. That word sea speaks to people. How many of you have ever been to a concert before? Right? Some of you are like, Am I, can I admit that in church? Okay. Have you ever been anywhere where there's been thousands of people and you had to walk in that crowd? Right? Did you ever utter this phrase? I go through that sea of humanity. You ever hear that phrase, a sea of humanity? What are you talking about? All those people, it's like a sea. The word sea there, S-E-A, speaks to the nations. It speaks to the people. It's not talking about like the Atlantic Ocean or something. It is referencing people. And so what John is telling us is the Antichrist is going to come from people. He's not going to come from heaven. He's not going to come ascending down or anything like that. He's going to come out of the people, the peoples of the world. And what you have to know about that verse is this. That word see, it only speaks to Gentile nations in the Bible when it's used. It's not talking about Jewish people. And so what we can learn by that is this. The Antichrist is going to come from a Gentile nation. He's not going to be Jewish. He might be, though. If you want more on this, I can give you this later on, but if you ever hear that the Antichrist is going to be Jewish and that the Bible supports that, there is an argument for that, but I can give that to you later on if you want. So he's going to be a Gentile person. But then you go into this word sea a little bit farther when it's used in Scripture. A lot of times it speaks in the Mediterranean Sea. And so a lot of people will tell us that the Antichrist is going to come from, he's going to be a Gentile from the region of Greece and or Rome. That he's going to come from that part of the world. And so people go, the president's the Antichrist. He's not because he doesn't line up with the Bible. The Bible tells us he's going to come from that region of the world, that that Rome region. A lot of people literally, literally will say Greece. I don't know. But the Antichrist is going to be a Gentile from that Mediterranean region that comes and becomes the Antichrist. He's not American. You really got to get that out of your mind. He's not American. No matter how bad or how ungodly they are, the American president is not the Antichrist. All right? So John sees this man coming out of the sea of humanity. He calls him a beast. Some of you have called somebody else a beast. You won't admit it, but you have. Why would you call them a beast? Because they look like a beast? No. Because of their character. John's doing the same thing. Remember, in the book of Revelation, there's a lot of symbols. There's a lot of pictures that you have to understand the meaning of. And so John goes out of the sea. Out of the sea of humanity comes this man who's going to be an antichrist. 
And he's a beast. It doesn't mean that he's like a beast. It's talking about his character. And the word beast there, it means wild. It means ferocious. It means dangerous. And so John goes, there's this guy coming out of the sea of humanity. He's going to be vicious. He's going to be ferocious. He's going to be wild. He's going to be dangerous. So we're starting at a picture of who the Antichrist is. But then John goes, he had ten, ten horns, seven heads, and ten crowns. So what do we do with that? Anybody want to switch places right now? Only on these words, right? You can, you can go, Tom, you want to switch places? I know, Tom's, Tom's telling you no. So what do we do with this? Because a lot of you have always pictured the Antichrist as this beastly looking thing, right? No, he's a guy. He's a guy. So what do we do with the ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns? Well, this is what we're going to do. This goes in line with what Daniel says in his book. And so I can't unpack all of it. And I'm trying to stay out of the weeds in all of this because if you know what that statement means, I'm, not, I'm trying to stay out of all the confusing stuff and trying to give you just the main idea of everything. Right? How many of you have ever seen an animal with a horn on its head? Some of you have not, all right? Uh, we're going to have to work on that. When you see an animal with a horn on its head, where is its power and its strength located? In the horn, right? The word horn in Scripture, unless it's talking about an actual horn, refers to power or strength, okay? So when you see the word horn there, it's not talking about actual horns, but it's just talking about power and strength, okay? Then you have seven heads and ten crowns. So that word crown there refers to a victor's crown. It refers to dominance. When you win something and you get a crown, what happens? You, you won. You have the authority. You have the dominance. All right. So that's what the crown speaks to there. It's speaking to authority. It's speaking to, uh, I'll use this language, governmental rule. Are you with me there? So we have power and we have governmental rule, authority, dominance. So what do we do with the seven heads? Well, that's a good question. We could spend literally two hours talking about this, but we're not going to do that. The seven heads could be seven rulers that have lived during the history of mankind. Some say it is the seven hills that the nation of Rome existed upon. But as I said, I'm trying not to get into all those types of things in this series. But I want you to see the ten horns. That's what I want you to see this morning. The ten horns line up to something that Daniel talks about. The ten toes. Daniel in his book has a vision. And the statue has ten toes. And this lines perfectly up with that. And what that is speaking to is this. The Antichrist is going to be the ruler, the leader the king, whatever language you want to use, of what seems to be a ten-nation confederation of states or countries. Many people say that this will be Europe in the region of Europe. So get this picture. The ten horns represent this. There's going to be ten nations during the tribulation period that go, we can't rule ourselves. 
And in light of everything that we've seen so far, that we've talked about in the tribulation period, the world's going absolutely crazy. There's going to be ten nations that go, we just can't handle this of ourselves. And so they're going to come together and they're going to join an alliance. We'll use that word, an alliance. And they're going to give all the rule and the authority over their ten nations to the Antichrist. That's what the ten horns mean. Some of you are like, Pastor, I don't know if I can follow this. Well, you should, because it'll happen. There's things like this set up already in parts of the world. Did you know that? Where nations have come together and signed treaties and different things along these lines, and all you need is one piece of paper to give all the control of these nations over to one person. And so who's the Antichrist? He's going to be a Gentile from the Mediterranean region, Scripture tells us. He's going to be a beastly character of a man. And he's going to rule over ten nations. They're going to give him their power. That is what this is speaking to. But then we see John tell us in verse 2 that the beast resembled a leopard, a bear, and a lion. Like, oh my word, stay, you got to stay with me this morning, okay? We're, we're almost out of the, the confusing stuff, right? How many of you have ever seen a movie or show where they take the best attributes of different people, mush them together, and make like a superhero type person? Have you ever seen that? That's what John is doing here, okay? That's exactly what John is doing here when he's talking about the lion, uh, the leopard, and I actually forgot the third one. The bear, all right? Exactly what he's talking about. Well, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, I know that because I've read the book of Daniel. These animals come from the book of Daniel. And what Daniel does is he sees a prophecy and he looks down the line and he sees the coming nations, the world powers of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. He sees them. And he gives each one of them an animal to talk about the character, the nature of that kingdom. Well, John does the same thing, but this time he's looking backwards. And he goes, you know what? You know who the... the, the we'll go, we'll go first, verse by verse. He goes, the beast I saw resembled a leopard. He goes, I saw a leopard. Well, you know who the leopard was? If you know your history, you know Greece overtook the world, right? Alexander the Great. How many of you know of Alexander the Great? All right, good. Right? Alexander the Great took over the known world by the time he was like about 30. Greece moved incredibly fast. What does a leopard do? Move fast. So that's why the leopard speaks to Greece, to the moving of the fast. And then you have the Medo-Persian Empire that, that, that came. Now they weren't fast, but they were very strong. And so that's why John looks at that nation and goes, you know what? They're very strong and powerful. They're the bear. They're the bear. And then you get to the lion. What is a lion? Vicious. Ferocious. He goes, that's, that's Babylon. Babylon in their rule was vicious and ferocious. And so what John does here, he goes, oh, this beast resembled the lion and, and, and the, the, the leopard and the bear. I keep forgetting the bear. I don't know why. Because he resembled them. And what he's doing is going this. The Antichrist rule is going to have those traits. His kingdom, his government, his rule is going to be incredibly fast like Greece. 
It's going to be incredibly strong and powerful like the Medo-Persian Empire. And it's going to be fierce and ferocious like the Babylonian Empire. And that's what he does. And he's telling us that's what his rule and his government is going to be like. He took all those strength of those nations and he applies it to the Antichrist. But how does he come to power? How many of you remember three weeks ago? Bob, Bob, I don't think you remember three weeks ago, Bob. Right? We're talking about the tribulation period, what was going to happen in the first three and a half years. And how many of you do remember who the first of the four horsemen was? I'll give you a hint. He's also known as the beast in the Bible, right? Who's the beast? Antichrist. Remember three weeks ago, Revelation chapter 6, we started seeing the judgments, the sealed judgments. And I told you the white horse that came out, the first of the four horsemen. I told you he's not Jesus, but he's the Antichrist. And I told you something then, I told you you needed to remember, and you didn't remember, right? I told you the Antichrist in that vision has a bow. Like a bow and arrow. He has a bow, but what didn't he have? Arrows. And I told you you needed to remember why he didn't have arrows. The reason he doesn't have arrows in that picture is this. The Antichrist does not come to power by war. The Antichrist will come to power through peace. Through politics. That's why he has no arrows. He is going to ascend the ladder of ruling and reigning, not through war, not through battles, not through attacks, but through peaceful things that look to be peace on the outside, through political ways, and nobody's going to see the true character of this man. He's just going to deceive everybody. He's going to have the front of, hey, let's make treaties with everybody. That's why there's no pictures in that, uh, no arrows in that picture. He doesn't come to the power by, by force. He does it by peace. And how he does that is verses 5 and 6. Well, partly. Because the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and the exercise of authority for 42 months. Joe's downstairs this morning, so I can't ask him, but 42 months is three and a half years. All right? He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. You take this along with Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 11, and you'll learn that the Antichrist is going to be one amazing speaker. He's going to be able to communicate, communicate wonderfully. And he's going to use that ability to communicate with his words to come to power peacefully, politically. I hate to say this, but one of the greatest speakers that you all know of probably never seen him in person, which I don't think you have, actually Adolf Hitler. I actually had to study Adolf Hitler when I took a public speaking class in college. Because Adolf Hitler is arguably one of the greatest communicators of our time. What he said was complete garbage and horrendous and everything. I give you that. But the fact of just communicating, he is absolutely amazing at. The way he used his words and his volumes, pauses, and tones. The Antichrist is going to be the same way. So if you watch a video of the uh, Adolf Hitler communicating and he starts off quiet and everybody's all you know, calm and then by the end everybody's like up, like ready to die for the man. 
That's what the Antichrist is going to do. So who is the Antichrist? Well, he's a guy who's going to come from the Mediterranean region. He's not going to be Jewish, most likely. He's going to be the beast of a character of a man. He's going to rule ten nations. And he's going to come to power peacefully. Without war. And he's going to be an amazing communicator. That's who he is. That's all I can tell you that he's going to be. I can't give you a name. I can't give you a city or a year or anything along those lines. But that's who he is. But something happens to him. A wound happened. And some of you are looking like, man, that was point one and there's still three more points. How long are we going to be here today? Not too much longer. The wound. Verse 3. This is a great one. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. So you know who the beast is, right? The Antichrist. How many of you know what a fatal wound is? Okay, good. Abby, I'm so glad you know what a fatal wound is because you're a nurse. All right? If you didn't, we're going to have to have a conversation. You all know what a fatal wound is, right? It's a wound that kills somebody, right? So I don't have to explain that, which is good, which is good. Well, then we read something else. It seems to be healed. Did you catch that? So what do we do with this? Well, there's a couple of thoughts on this. And I'm not going to give you all the thoughts. I will give you what I think is the main one. And from my study with people that are a lot smarter than I am, seem to be the main track of what this means. And I'm going to tell you why I lean towards this view as well in a moment. But it seems that there will be some type of assassination plot on the Antichrist. That someone will kill him, thus the fatal wound. You can picture that, right? You've all seen movies and TV shows. But then John goes, it looks like it's healed. And you go, yeah. Dragons eating babies, and if you weren't here you know, last week, you missed that one. Then you got beasts coming out of the sea with seven heads, and then what do we got going on here? Well, it seems that the Antichrist will be killed. And you're going, well, what do you mean by that? Let me give you the point of time frame that we're in. Told you the tribulation period is seven years. I personally will lean to this event that we're looking at right now, verse 3, happening somewhere towards the end of the first half of the tribulation period. Maybe three years, getting close to that midpoint. Because at the midpoint of the tribulation period, something very important happens, which I will touch upon in a couple minutes. The midpoint of the tribulation period is very, very important. And so I think that somewhere nearing the midpoint of the tribulation period, that the Antichrist is killed. Or seems to be killed. I'll put it that way. And then is brought back to life. And you go, Pastor, I'm still confused. How can the Antichrist be brought back to life? Because would God absolutely, would God bring, back, bring the Antichrist back to life? Well, he, he would to accomplish his plan, absolutely. But who would do this? Well, well Satan would do this. If you look back in verse 2, it says, Satan gives the beast his power and his throne and his authority. And I told you the other week that Satan is thrown out of heaven at the midpoint of the tribulation period. You remember that? 
He's hurled out of heaven. And he can't go back to heaven anymore. That in the midpoint of the tribulation period, Satan will be stuck on this earth and he can't go back and forth between earth and heaven like he does now. And because of that, about that same time, the Antichrist is killed. And then Satan possesses his body and makes it look like the Antichrist rose from the dead. So here's one thought. The Antichrist is killed, and he's dead. Satan's hurled out of heaven. He sees the Antichrist's body there, and he possesses the body of the Antichrist, and it is now his uh, body. Uh, this just came to my mind, but if you've ever seen the movie Men in Black, and the cockroach that comes on and puts the, the, the farmer's body on for the whole movie, think something along those lines in, in this thing. If you've never seen the movie, I just confused you even more. You can Google it later, all right? right? So that's one thing. But then you gotta go, can Satan bring people back to life? He can't. Satan doesn't have the ability, the power to give life. Only God possesses that power. Now, can God allow Satan to do that for that one time? Absolutely. What I think and you all know I'm Polish, so I could be wrong, is there's a twist on this variation. Not that the Antichrist is completely dead dead, and that Satan uses his body as like a jacket, right? But that the Antichrist is attacked, and it seems like he dies. And he plays the whole thing up like he's dead. Maybe even laying in a coffin. And then all of a sudden... He just gets up. Where he wasn't actually dead, but it seemed like he was dead. I'm going to go out on a limb and say some of you have seen movies or TV shows where somebody in the show pretended to be dead. And everything looked like they were dead. Everybody thought they were dead. And at the end of the show, you'll surprise, I'm alive. I think that's something that the Antichrist is going to do. That he's going to uh, put on this show by the power of Satan to make it seem like he dies and so that he can rise. And the question is, why? Well, does a death and resurrection sound familiar to any of you? Tom, thank you. You're the only one that put your hand up, right? We're going to have to do a lot of work. Jesus, right? His death. I know some of you said yes. I got you. Jesus died and he rose. What is Satan's goal? Who is Satan? He is a copycat. He is a deceiver. He is an imitator. He always imitates God. And he wants to worship. Satan wants people to worship him and follow him. And so he goes, I'm going to do the same exact thing that Jesus did. And I'm going to do it so that people think that my guy, the Antichrist, dies and rises so that people will follow and worship the Antichrist. And when they're following and worshiping the Antichrist, Satan goes, they're actually worshiping me. You follow that? That's why he does it. He's trying to get people to follow him and then worship him. Because notice what the end of the verse says. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. It's all a show to get more people, to, and I'll use this language, to put their faith and their trust in the Antichrist. To deceive them. To confuse them. He's a copycat. So that's what he's going to do. And I think Jesus actually alluded to this back in John chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus says this, I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. Huh. 
People have a hard time accepting the fact that Jesus died and rose, but the Antichrist is going to do something like that and the whole world is going to go, you're the Messiah. You're God. So what are you going to do? That's the wound. And so the Antichrist has come on the scene. He's been building his power and his kingdom. And around the midpoint, there seems to be a death and a coming back to life. And this just causes more people to follow him, thinking that he is God. People are astonished with him. So what comes next? Well, it's worship. Worship always follows wonder. If you're wondered, if something makes you go, ah, that is amazing, a lot of times you end up worshiping. Verse 4, men worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? You get a picture of the Antichrist? Who he is? He's all about himself. And he's going to try to get people to worship him and to follow him. And he's going to succeed because the whole world is going to go, who is like the beast? Who's like him? They're going to worship Him and Satan. This brings in the help of the false prophet. I'm not going to talk about the false prophet this morning. It's the rest of this chapter. How many of you know a PR guy, a right-hand guy? Right? When you start to get very popular and famous, you need a PR person, a public relations person to help you do all this stuff and help you with your brand. That's the false prophet. Right? He's going to have some power. He's going to be able to do stuff. But his goal, his job, is to elevate the, the Antichrist all the more. And what the false prophet and the Antichrist do is they do something that's called the abomination of desolation. Those of you that have been in uh, Sunday school, going through the Gospel of Mark, you should have an understanding of this. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The abomination of desolation is something that happens at the midpoint of the tribulation period. This is why I keep telling you that the midpoint of the tribulation period is so important. Because what happens in the middle of the tribulation period is important because of this. When you take Daniel and other sections of Scripture, we find that in the midpoint of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to have an image of himself made and he's going to put it in the Jewish temple and have everybody worship him in the Jewish temple as one last false slap in the face of God. When the Antichrist does that, when the abomination of desolation is set up, that marks the last half of the tribulation period. And why is that important? It's important because this reason. It is at that moment that the true colors of the Antichrist are seen. He goes from the peaceful person with the nice words and peace treaties that he's been doing for the last three, four years, and now it's, I'm going to kill you. I want you to worship me. If you don't worship me, you're dead. If you don't take my mark, you're dead. If you're Jewish, you're dead. If you're Christian, you're dead. It changes everything. The heat gets turned up. He shows his true colors from this point on for the last three and a half years and is the false prophet that helps him do this. And he makes everybody worship him. And you think, how can people go and worship someone like that? How can somebody worship Satan? I hear you. But do you know that it's happening right now? I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I don't know if I like being 
so honest with you. But you need to know it. For a good 20, 30 years, maybe more, church attendance and church membership in America has been tanking. You know what the word tanking means? It means going down the toilet. Okay? Church attendance and church membership for decades in America have been going down the hill. Even church attendance for church members in America is not good. In many churches, a good number of churches, I will say maybe half or more churches in America, the average church member is at church maybe twice a month. And then when you hit summer, eh, maybe once every other month. That's for church members in America. Not just church attenders, but church members. So church attendance and church membership in America is going this way. Do you know that membership and attendance at Satanistic groups in America is going this way? It's on the rise. Satan groups at schools that meet after school. You know the Satanistic Church of America has 700,000 members and is growing? While church attendance is going down? You already live in a culture where Satan is worshipped and it's okay. Just turn the Grammys on that happened a couple months ago. You already live in that. It's okay to worship Satan today, but it's not okay to worship Jesus. It's just going to get a lot worse. And there's one more thing. Because I'm running out of time. But don't worry, this one's quick. The war. Verses 7 to 10. I'm only going to read to you verses 7 to 8. He, the Antichrist, has given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he has given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. What's he going to do? He's going to make war. But who's he going to make war against? He's going to make war against the saints. You know who the saints are? It's you. The word saints there does not speak to somebody in a stained glass window with a halo over their head. The New Testament word saint literally speaks to a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, you are a saint. You need to understand that. That's why knowing your identity should dictate how you live your life. But the Antichrist is going to start a war against believers. And he's going to attack them. We talked about this last week. And notice the Antichrist is going to make war against the saints and notice he will conquer them. The Antichrist will win this battle, but not the war. Friends, the amount of believers in Jesus who died during this period of time is absolutely enormous. Some people believe that there will be more Christians martyred in those seven years than there will be Christians martyred from the beginning of Christianity up to that point in time. Millions and millions and millions of Christians die. But not only that, He'll have authority over all the world and the whole world will worship Him. 
That's who he is. That's what happens to him, and that's what he does. But not everyone in the world will worship the Antichrist. Those who have their name written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb will not worship him. What is this book? Well, we'll be back to it in a couple of weeks, but it, in short, it is a book that has the name of every person who will ever turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior written in it. If you're a Christian, your name is in it. It's been in it. You see, God knew from the foundation of the world who would come to know Him as Lord and Savior. And if your name is written in that book, you will not worship the Antichrist. The question is, is your name written in that book? Because if it's not, you don't have salvation. And the only way to have your name written in that book is to turn to Jesus by faith. The Antichrist is a horrible person who does horrible things but will be worshipped as a God because he places himself in the place of Jesus. So let me ask you this. Who or what is your Antichrist this morning? The Bible speaks of many Antichrists. An Antichrist is someone or something that is, remember, in the place of Jesus instead of Jesus. Who or what's taking the place of Jesus in your life? In your heart? You see, we become so worried about who the Antichrist is to come. Why? Why worry about Him? If you're in Christ, you're not going to be here. Why worry about who He is and what He's going to do? If you're in Christ, you're not going to be here. Why not worry about the Antichrists that are in your lives on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday Thursday and Friday. The things that every day you say yes to, and when you say yes to that, you're saying no to Jesus. The Antichrist that you've placed in your life instead of putting Jesus there. Where Jesus goes, come to church and worship me and build godly relationships with my people. No. I have other things to do. They're Antichrists. Where Jesus goes, Read my word. No, I have other things to do. Those other things are Antichrist because you're placing them in the place of Jesus. Where Jesus goes, pray. Share the gospel. Love somebody in my name. Give forgiveness to somebody who has sinned against you because I have forgiven you. And we go, no. Those things, those people are your Antichrist because you have placed them in the place of Jesus. There's there instead of Jesus. Why are you worshiping Antichrist instead of Jesus? Friends, I gave you a little bit about the Antichrist, but don't worship the Antichrist within your life today and tomorrow and the next day. Worship Jesus with your life. Because He gave up His life. So you can have an eternal one. What do you have in place of Jesus in your life and in your heart? You ought to be more worried about that than the one who to come. Because I know I'm not going to be here when He comes. I'm going to be good. So I need to focus on the Antichrist that I fight daily. And so do you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the picture, the glimpse of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness that is going to come. Father, I pray that you give us a little bit of clarity as to who he is because we do need to know because your word tells us. 
But Father, there are so many people and things that we have placed in our lives in Your place, Jesus, the place that You ought to hold. Father, forgive us for those things. Help us to see them. Help us to remove them and put You in the rightful place that You ought to be in our lives, Lord. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.